that it's Australia Day, I thought we'd try to uh, find a way of thinking about nationhood in the light of the kingdom of God. I actually prepared three talks for today, um, and the second one was really good. That was um, featured a lot about Japan, um, but it started, <laughs> started to seem inappropriate after a while, so I abandoned that one, which is lucky because it was also really long. Um, this one won't be so long. I'm regretting that I put Australia Day on the map. I just really wanted to have a map of Australia, kind of just the landmass, um, because it is such a contested space, you could say. Um, uh, I also thought about starting with four different maps of Australia up there, one with the indigenous, with the indigenous flag on it and one with um, the Australian flag and one with various tourist locations, etc., etc., um, just to get us thinking about the different ways in which we think about this space, this island. Um, I should warn you before we start that there is an unflattering picture of Christopher Pine in this talk, but, um, but I'm not a Labour Party stooge, and uh, so if that offends you, just uh, bear with me, because... Uh, yeah, this is, this is not intended to be a partisan talk, but just something to get us to reflect on our nation and uh, how the kingdom of God might get us to think about it differently. All right. One of the great um, contrasts, I guess, between Reed's nation and ours is the fact that um, the day that we celebrate as our national day commemorates kind of the opposite events. So with uh, Independence Day, they celebrate when they threw the British out. And on Australia Day, we remember when they arrived. Um, and it's not just kind of ironic, but it's also, I think, quite profound to think about the effect that that difference might have on the way that we connect with our National Day. Um, because July 4 is such a clear and easy thing to celebrate. I mean, in a, in a way that the United States has a lot of the same, should have a, a lot of the same sources of shame as we have in terms of their treatment of their Indigenous people and all sorts of things. But the actual day, July 4, uh, the celebration of independence and throwing off tyranny is a very clear and easy thing to celebrate. Whereas Australia Day is just much, much more complex. In a way, it's like having a kind of complex and uh, problematic family event in your family history, and the way you then deal with it, um, there can be a range of different ways of dealing with it. And I think that range of different ways of dealing with a kind of controversial or a difficult event um, in, a, in history is exactly the range that we see in Australia. So if we go to the next slide... I think there are three, three prime ways that you can respond to Australia Day. And, and I think this is what generally happens. Uh, so you have people that approach it with an incredible and intense sense of pride in this country. I'm proud of this country. And we're seeing this ignited again in, in you know, what you see in the media described as the culture wars. 
Uh, so Christopher Pine um, challenging the, the school curriculum on history and saying it represents, you know, the black armband view of history. So it represents pure negativity about our history and that we should instead be celebrating our history and all the great things that we have done, all the great things that have happened, all the great things that we are as a nation. Uh, so that those culture wars, in a sense, represent the two, two extremes in the way that we respond to this, this particular day um, and the way that we respond to our history generally. Uh, so I think um, a minority of people respond to it by, by being intensely proud of this country with, I guess, no um, openness at all to, to any shame or any complexity in that. This is just a great country. If you don't like it, leave. Um, so these are the people that fly the Australian flags from their cars, etc., etc. And then at the opposite extreme... By the way, if you haven't seen Shame, it's an amazing film. Uh, there, there's a, a Steve McQueen, it's just not the other Steve McQueen, the new Steve McQueen has just put out another film, a film about uh, the slavery, which is also magnificent. But um, this is a film about sex addiction and I think it, um, yeah, it really foregrounds so much about what's wrong with our culture. Um, so I'd recommend that, but it's nothing to do with the talk. It's just a good picture to t- think about Shame, which I think is the other extreme response to Australia Day, uh, the sense that um, this land was stolen, that Australia Day is Invasion Day, and that um, mainstream Australia, or especially white Australia, has no right to feel anything but shame uh, as Australians. And... I think both of those extremes, and we'll go on to explore this, but I think both of those extremes um, are unhelpful because I don't think either of them really lead to, to action or reconciliation. Um, but we'll talk more about that. I think, though, the majority of Australians probably sit in the third category of denial. Just... Australia Day is just Australia Day. It's a day off. It's a day to um, have a barbecue. It's a day where there's not much space really to reflect on our history at all. It's just another public holiday and a day, another opportunity to overindulge. Um, And again, that kind of denial, that kind of refusal to look at a complex history is also the way so many of us respond to any kind of complexity in our family or in our community or in in our nation. Does anyone know who that is? Guy in the middle? No? Good. Um, In... Previous talks in this series, I've talked about finding the third way between two extremes, um, but we've already got three ways now. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the fourth way, finding a fourth way. Um, I was listening to Adam Goods. Uh, if you don't know, Adam Goods is Australian of the Year this year, and for Reed's benefit, Adam Goods is uh, an Indigenous AFL player, so he plays Australian football. And there was during the 
every year there's an Indigenous round of the AFL where Indigenous players play and where Indigenous players are celebrated. And he was the victim of a racial taunt from the crowd and he didn't ignore it, but he pointed out who it was and that person was arrested and it, it became a very big issue in, in the media. And I think it's wonderful that the upshot of all of that is that this guy has been named Australian of the Year. Uh, and I think that, in many ways, is, is a sign of the willingness in this country to, um, to confront um, our history in a, in a healthy way. Um, but there is also a danger in someone like Adam Goods being chosen of, of it being um, a tokenistic gesture which doesn't really flow through. And I, and I think he is fully aware of that himself. If, if you read his, his um, talk, uh, I'd recommend that you do, his talk when he received the award. I think there's an awareness in him that, um, that this is a wonderful gesture but that this needs to flow through this um, confrontation with racism needs to flow through to every layer of our society. Um, but what I want to do briefly today is look at Israel, um, look at the nation of Israel and how the way that God created the nation of Israel might speak to us about um, a creative and active way of engaging with our own history that perhaps uh, is a fourth way rather than those three. So can we have the next slide? So I think there are some, some clues for us in this passage from Deuteronomy. Um, so I'll just read it for us um, and then we'll ha- have a little bit of a talk about how it might speak into the way that we see ourselves as a nation and the way we understand nationhood. Uh, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery." Um, I was I was going to get people's feedback from this, but I'm aware of the time, so I might just move through and can save kind of comments and questions till the end, unless you have something burning that you want to say. Um, the, th- the thing that dominates my reading of this, I guess, is um, is that sense that there is no merit, um, that Israel did nothing to achieve its liberation, Israel did nothing to merit or achieve its nationhood, um, that it was all God. And that he cho- told them that he had chosen them to be his treasured possession. Um, but that was not because of anything deserving in them, but because of promises that he had made. We talked, um, I think, was it last year or the year before, about covenant, the idea of covenant. Um, but they are a nation created out of covenant, God choosing them. 
And to me, this offers, this vision of nationhood offers an alternative to apathy, an alternative to pride, an alternative to shame, an alternative to entitlement as a way of understanding nationhood. Um, I think it suggests that the dominant feeling in nationhood would be a sense of gratitude, a sense of gratitude for, for what you have, for the blessings that you have. Um, and there's something incredibly, I think, creative and nourishing about gratitude as a way of responding to, to nationhood an awareness of undeserved blessing. But in a sense, that's not enough because I think there, is a, there can be a dominant, in our country, there can be a dominant sense of, of gratitude that papers over our responsibilities perhaps to our Indigenous people or our responsibilities to other nations. Um, so if we go on to the next slide, I think there's a, a second dimension to the way... God creates his people that is also really helpful. Because God doesn't just choose the people of Israel and kind of set them apart from the rest of the world and say, you are blessed, you're better than anyone else, you are my treasured possession, and so let's just have this relationship which has no bearing on the rest of the world. But he says to them in Exodus that he is chosen them to be a nation of priests, a holy nation and a nation of priests, which of course raises the question of what, for Israel, what is the role of the priest? Um, The priest, the priestly class were part of the daily rituals of sacrifice. That was their job. So their job, the job of the priest was to make the nation clean, to make others clean and to, to serve others, to, to point them towards God. Uh, and I think this is a very, it's a crucial thing that we need to understand when we understand the way God creates the nation of Israel. I mean, it's tragically ironic that um, Israel is currently building the world's biggest wall around itself, to cut itself off from the rest of the world, when its original constitution was to be a nation of priests, a nation that served others, that made others clean, that drew others towards God. It was a light to other nations and a humble witness to the sovereignty of God. Their, their littleness, the fact that they were the least of all nations, was meant to be a sign to the rest of the world that God was on the side of the weak, on the side of the little, on the side of the least, on the side of the smallest. Um, And yet, um, tragically, Israel now seems to have a bit more of that small man complex of wanting to project power and strength and wanting to cut off, cut itself off. Um, But before I seem to be pointing the finger at Israel, that there's another small nation I'm thinking of that seems to have the same kind of mentality, not small geographically, but small in terms of population, that, I mean, I think we're a classic example of a nation that wants to project strength, wants to project success, um, 
and also wants to um, cut itself off from the rest of the world, um, except on terms that it decides. There's a great John Howard quote about, you know, that we will determine who comes to our nation and the circumstances under which they come. Um, and it, it exemplifies, I think, the, yeah, that, the mentality that is evolving in this country of entitlement and of um, a desire to project strength, just like modern-day Israel. But that was not for Israel the way it was meant to be, and that's not the way it should be for us. Um, we've talked before in this church about the bounded set versus the centered set. Uh, and there's, um, if, for those that aren't familiar with that distinction, if you think of a, of a farm, there's a great illustration um, where if you have a farm, the, the bounded set of a farm is, is to create a fence around your animals to keep them in and to keep everyone else out. But the centered set is to sink a well into the ground um, so that the way you keep track of the animals is that you create a place that they are drawn to. Um, so there is no boundary, but just a, a, a place of life that people are drawn to. And I think that difference is exactly the difference that we're looking at with modern-day Israel versus the way Israel was meant to be. Israel now is a bounded set, keeping, keeping the alien out, um, and Australia doing the same in a way. Whereas the intention of God for nationhood, for, for his chosen people, was to be a well of life that people were drawn to. And you see that Zechariah is just an amazing, an amazing book. He's one of my favourite prophets. And this quote is such an amazing vision of God's intention for his people. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. We have the next slide. Thanks, Alex. So, in summary, what the Bible seems to be advocating for Israel as a nation, um, and I guess for, for any nation that seeks, um, for any people, any church that seeks to serve him, is that the doubleness. Understanding that we are blessed. So, our attitude to our country being characterized by gratitude, but that that then flows over into seeking to be a blessing to others, seeking to be a source of life for others, both within and without. So seeking reconciliation with Indigenous people, um, seeking forgiveness for kind of racist immigration policies, but also being generous in our immigration policies, being generous with our foreign aid, being a nation that doesn't seek to project strength, um, but seeks to bring reconciliation. It seems it's incredible to me that if you look at Jesus, who is the ultimate example of the chosen one, the ultimate example of the person set apart, he was also the most humble and approachable person. He was a person that 
children were drawn to, that the marginalized were drawn to. And it is a wonderful model, I guess, for, for a view of nationhood that is true to the kingdom of God. Uh, humility, generosity, and a source of life that draws others to it. I'm not... I know that immigration is a complex issue and I'm not advocating anything particular in terms of the specifics of the way this, this country handles that because it's complex, I understand that, but I do think that, that it has to be, the issue, the whole issue has to be approached with a spirit of generosity and a desire to bless. And of course, uh, this would seem to be a good way of seeing our own community being grateful, not a walled community despite our walls and seeking to be a well of life that draws those around us to us. So just the last slide now. Uh, you'll notice that there's no communion today, no um, cracker and no wine. Um, I decided to do something, something slightly different instead today. Um, so what you have on your tables is just a small bowl of mustard seeds. A vision, a vision like the one that I've just suggested of being grateful and being a blessing to all nations as, or as a church being a well of life for those around us. It can be quite overwhelming. It can seem like a heavy responsibility. And uh, we need to remember what Shane said last week, that we are not the Messiah, that we are finite and we are limited and that this, this work is God's work, a work that we are finding our place in, not a work that we are to do alone. Um, that's why God chose Israel, because no one was going to think that what he did through Israel was a result of Israel's strength because it was so, such a frail nation. And it's the same with us. God wants to to be strong through our weakness. So we need to remember that. So we're going to finish with this symbol, the symbol of the mustard seed, as a reminder of what God can do through our smallness. Um, beautifully, that was also a theme of Johnny's talk, that what God can, what Jesus can do through our smallness and our limitations. Um, I also thought a, an almost non-existent communion would be a good contrast to the celebration of excess that is Australia Day. Um, and this is what Jesus says. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Such a beautiful parable. So just to finish, I want to suggest three practical things that I think, three ways, things that this might look like for us. Um, ways in which we can be attentive to what God is doing and realize that the small things are the tiny seeds of the kingdom. So the first thing is cultivating gratitude. Um, saying grace at meals placing small rituals of gratitude into the rhythm of our day, trying to be a beacon of gratitude and generosity 
in a sea of entitlement and apathy. The second thing is um, thinking about the small ways that we interact with each other. Do they flow out of pride, out of shame? Do they subtly create walls around our community? Or do they show a desire to love and bless? I was thinking about someone like Reed coming into our community and how easy it is when someone from another country comes to our country to comes to our community to seek to connect through finding common enemies or to seek to connect by saying, you know, what do you hate about your country? Or yeah, we hate the same things, or whatever it might be. This that that kind of tendency to to seek to connect through excluding others. Um, but someone new coming to our community is in, should instead be an opportunity to to find out who they are, to find out how they are different, and rather than seeking to cut off or exclude that difference, to see it as the voice of God speaking into our community, telling us how God might bless us and how that, that difference might stretch us and make us more of a blessing to others. And the last thing is just Prayer and contemplation, the importance if we are to be a blessing of prayer and contemplation. I was listening to a political commentator the other day suggesting that the biggest problem with the Australian political landscape and most developed nations is the amount of noise, just the amount of noise, the 24-hour news cycle creating this incredible... (laughs) I blame you. Um, (laughs) I blame Peter. Um, creating this cacophony of of sound bites and commentary, all short-term, most ultimately about unimportant issues. And he said that this makes it almost impossible for us to stay connected to the massive political, economic, environmental challenges that we face. So somehow as a nation as citizens, but also as members of this church, we need to find time and space to block out the noise. And this has to do with busyness, which we've talked about before as well. Block out the noise to reconnect with the eternal. Um, So again, cultivating practices of contemplation, of prayer, of meditation. So... Not sure how you're going to do it in a hygienic fashion. You might want to just, you probably don't want to lick your finger and stab, but you could just stab yourself a little mustard seed. And as, uh, as you take your mustard seed, I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah 42 for two reasons. Firstly, because I think it's really appropriate. And secondly, because it mentions, it uses the phrase, a bruised reed I will not break. So I thought that was appropriate for today. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out 
or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Amen. I feel so incredibly blessed to um, have someone like Rod as part of our community who uh, thinks about things from an angle that's um, different to most people, certainly different to the way that I uh, look at life and and consider things. And I'm just incredibly grateful for uh, the amount of preparation that Rod puts in for those who follow us on Facebook. Um, There's been numerous posts that Rod has placed on there just getting us to think and and ponder um, this day and what it means for us. Um, I've asked a couple of folks, Christine and Ben, just to come. I went through the, the common book of prayer and, and, and I've pulled out two prayers that I would like us to um, pray as uh, well, representatives of our community to pray on our behalf for us. One is a prayer for our nation and the other is in regards to, um, in regards to justice. So Ben and Christine, if you want to come. And uh, I think we've got... These on PowerPoint as well, so you might be able to follow along. But as representatives of our community, um, Ben and Christine are going to pray these prayers um, on our behalf for us. Uh, This is a prayer for our nation. Teach the people of this land to rely on your strength and to accept their responsibilities to their fellow citizens, that they may elect trustworthy leaders and make wise decisions for the well-being of our society. That, you may, that we may serve you faithfully in our generation and honour your holy name. For yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Amen. This is a prayer at Thanksgiving for the social order. O God, who created all peoples in your image, we thank you for the wonderful diversity of races and cultures in this world. Enrich our lives by ever-widening circles of fellowship and show us your presence in those who differ most from us until our knowledge of your love is made perfect in our love for all your children through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sorry, Shane, you wanted to uh, pray for me. The other thing I just uh, found out is um, Amy, oh, sorry, not Amy, um, Jane, um, who arrived back from her trip, is actually flying off to Jordan Um, next week for 12 months work and so maybe if some folks can gather around uh, Jane as we conclude our service this morning and uh, you wanted to and um, all right where is she oh sorry I (laughs) very confused Um, let's pray for Jane father we just uh, lift Jane before you father we thank you for her and uh, Lord as she 
spends the next 12 months in Jordan, we pray that you would uh, again protect and bless her and uh, be with her. Father, we thank you for the connection that we have with her and her with us. And uh, Father, we release her um, as our representative uh, to um, God be a blessing to that nation and to that people. Father, we just thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. I completely forgot as well. I really want to pray for Reed as well um, as we welcome him into our community. Um, yeah, maybe you could come to me because it's so much easier than me going to you. <laughs> maybe we could get a couple of people together and read as well. It would be really cool. Um, yeah. It's very cool having you here, yeah, and we really hope that we learn off you as you learn off us. Yeah. Father, we just thank you for uh, this opportunity of welcoming someone new and a new um, perspective into our community. I just pray that uh, Reed would really feel a connection and a resonance with uh, your activity, um, both in this community and in, the, in Melbourne itself. Uh, I pray that he would feel welcomed and included. Look, God, that you would um, bring him connections that would make him richer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, stand and we'll close with a benediction. Um, Because of our kitchen, we don't have morning tea or lunch um, today or uh, for the next little while, but we do have some ice blocks and some fruit and some uh, biscuits if you're able to hang around. If not, uh, you might want to go and grab some lunch and spend uh, some time this afternoon with some friends or family. Let's close with a benediction. Loving Father, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers and feeding us with your word and encouraging us in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and serve you and all people in the power of your spirit and in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.